So Money Episode 1110, Sally Taylor, Vice President and General Manager at FICO. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My, my bank of dad is a great example of privilege that many people don't have. I was able to learn this lesson without getting a blemish on my credit, mm-hmm. without having to dig myself out of a big financial hole, God forbid, high interest rates and so forth, right? So that is privilege. Not everyone has that. True leaders recognize their privilege and the work that still needs to be done to ensure equity for everybody else. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is Sally Taylor. She's the vice president and general manager of B2B Scores at FICO. She's a leading female executive in the credit industry and has had many years of experience shaping, managing, and delivering products that help businesses improve their operations and generate high return on investment. She's been featured in Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Fox Business, Thrive Global, talking about leadership, talking about the role of women in corporate America and gender parity. It's a privilege to have her on the show today to talk a little bit more about her career, her background, and her advice for everybody when it comes to everything from credit scores, of course, but also how to be a true leader in the workplace and the privileges that she is now leveraging to help others. This episode is done in partnership with FICO. If you recall, we had an episode earlier in September on all things credit. It was an Ask Farnoosh Friday episode. You got to go back and check that out. It was actually our most popular, one of our most popular episodes of the last 30, 60 days. Ask Farnoosh and FICO on September 4th. And this is part two of our partnership with FICO, a sit down interview with Sally Taylor. Here we go. Sally Taylor, welcome to So Money. It's such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Farnoosh. How are you, first of all? I always like to check in with guests. You're based on the West Coast amidst all that's happening in the world. How are you? Well, I do feel quite blessed that my uh, family and I have not been too negatively impacted by either the pandemic or the fires. But, you know, my heart goes out to those who are suffering. Our office at FICO is between San Francisco and the wine country. So mm-hmm. many of our colleagues have been on alert and evacuated. And, you know, we all know friends and family that face significant uncertainty. So it's a critical time for everyone to support each other. Absolutely. Well, thanks for making time for us. You know, this year has uh, renewed a lot of questions for for our audience and everybody really, especially money questions. People want to know um, how to make their personal finances stronger. Is it possible to even end the year stronger? People aren't sure about the health of the economy. Where is it going? No one has a crystal ball. And just curious from your perspective, what are the conversations you're having about credit specifically, because that's your forte, credit and lending and how that all has been impacted or could continue to be impacted by the pandemic, the economy, anywhere you look, there seems to be a headwind. Right. And, you know, it's been really heartening to see how 
aware and proactive consumers and lenders are in navigating this crisis. So one thing that seems different to me from the last major downturn is how many more consumers are aware of their credit and how important it is in in their lives. And you saw that reflected, say, in the CARES Act, where, you know, it spoke to ensuring that people aren't negatively impacted by the short term. You can see it in the way borrowers are contacting creditors very proactively if they've been impacted to get some sort of accommodation and lenders, you know, very willing to do that. And lenders worked really hard when the pandemic first hit and the economic consequences first started to hit to make sure that they knew, for example, how to report information to the credit bureaus so that there wasn't this negative impact on consumers. And here at FICO, we spent a lot of time educating the lenders and other consumer advocates and consumers themselves about you know how that information should be reported so that it's not negatively impacted. And we put out letters and blogs and engage with media. And, and the great news was that we had a very receptive audience because you know so many people are taking their credit very seriously. Yeah. And, and just want to remind all of our listeners that a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, we did do an all things credit episode. And so if you missed that, that was, of course, in partnership with FICO. Thank you so much for that. Sally, you and your team um, are really putting out some important resources because we do need reminders. And now, of course, if you are in the market for a home loan, a car loan, even a new lease on an apartment, your credit will as always be important, but now more than ever, you can bank on lower interest rates. So it's always a good time, but now especially to review your credit. Let's talk a little bit about your time at FICO. You've been there for a number of years. Today, you're leading a team of over 60 professionals. You're an incredible leader. How do you define your personal leadership style? Well, I'm I'm really fortunate to have a great team. They're very talented and passionate, but also they're just really great empathetic collaborators, right? That makes for fun and an open environment. It allows people to do their best. It, it makes them feel comfortable speaking up and even taking risks. So I value these smart minds coming together to solve big problems. That's a lot of what we do. And by nature, we're all pretty analytical just because of the field that we're in, but we also have you know, a strong practical business sense. So that's the environment that I can't take credit for creating it because that was the culture when I first joined FICO over 30 years ago. And even though I have worked in lots of different cultures and microcultures within within the company, I believe those are the characteristics that bring out the best in talented people. So I strive to maintain and recreate that kind of environment. Is it safe to say that everybody at FICO is like a credit savant? How did you get your first lesson in credit? And are there things that you're still learning? I'm just curious because, you know, you think you work somewhere and, and that's just becomes what you become an expert at. Right, right. Yeah. Well, actually, my very first experience in credit was right after I got my job at FICO. It was, it was my my first job out of school and the office was in the suburbs. So I needed to get a car in order to commute. And uh, so I, I did have the benefit of a little bit of an inside knowledge. And I waited until I had a few paychecks under my belt and enough of a down payment. And then I, I went out to buy a car. It was really interesting at that time. You know, this is 33 years ago. I experienced what many women 
especially younger women did back then. And that was that the car salesperson always assumed that it was my boyfriend who I often brought along with me was the one buying the car. And no matter how many times we corrected them, right, they always talked directly at him when pitching the car and and not me. But, you know, it, it worked out great. I mean, I did have some inside knowledge. I knew what I could afford. I knew what kind of amount I would qualify for and how much I needed to put down. Um, but uh, thankfully today, there are a lot of uh, personal finance information and calculators out there to help new borrowers with that kind of information. Sadly, I don't think the the habit of sometimes going into a car dealership or a financial advisor's office with your husband, the woman, there's no eye contact with the woman. <laughs> I think that's unfortunately still happening. What do you think are some of the things people often get wrong when it comes to understanding how credit works? You mentioned earlier, like this is just such an important time to get reacquainted with credit facts and what creates good credit. What do you think is something that people should really know right now that they're not getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing, especially in this sort of time of uncertainty, um, is that when it comes to like FICO scores, um, number one, they're dynamic, right? So even if somebody has an issue, you can bounce back, right? The negative information starts as it fades into the past is counted less and less. And not only that, it's not just delinquency. There's, you know, delinquency, past delinquency is important, but it's balanced by balances and the mix of credit and, and other types of information. So it's very holistic and very dynamic so that people can certainly recover from past mistakes and still, you know, have good credit. Right. And and now we know, I did a, just did a story recently about how there's a lot of complaints currently uh, at the Consumer Protection Bureau, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. People are complaining about misreporting on their credit reports. People are taking on a lot of different kinds of loan modifications because of COVID and the recession. They're taking on, you know, deferments and forbearance. And technically, that's not supposed to go on your credit report as a negative, as delinquent or past due. And, and some are claiming that that isn't always being followed. So very important to check your credit report right now, as well as your score, just to see that everything is right. You can go to annualcreditreport.com to get your free credit report. And now you can actually check it weekly for free, just a public service announcement, as opposed to just that one time a year but now we're allowed to do this once a week because I, I think it really does stress, Sally, just how important it is to be on top of your credit right now. Yes, I, I would completely agree with that. And any information, like I said, we produced a lot of information about how your credit should be reported if you have that sort of accommodation. So we can certainly make that type of information available. You know, you've seen the industry pre-FICO score, Sally, and now 30 years later, just curious, what do you think the impact has been of this innovation on making credit more fair and accessible? Because that's really what the FICO score aims to do, right? It's, it's sort of this benchmark to allow lenders to sort of see borrowers on a level playing field. For you, what are the indicators that that's been working? Well, for one, I think credit scoring and FICO scores have really, you know, helped eliminate a lot of the, the sort of subjective decisions that, that lenders had many, many years ago. Maybe I can explain a little bit what was the status quo before, before the FICO scores. Sure. Um, 
you know, at the time, largest lenders were using credit scoring. Credit scoring had been around since the, the late 50s. And, but they were using their own lending experience. And in fact, FICO was in the business of building what we call custom models for them using their own experience. And really mainly it was the largest lenders that even had enough of that experience and data to build kind of these empirically derived models. And what credit scoring did for these lenders is uh, a couple of things. One is, you know, it used real data of who pays and who doesn't pay rather than subjective bias to, you know, make the decision. So it helped eliminate some of the over discrimination that was in the underwriting process in the, in the olden days. The other thing that it did was it gave lenders a lot of improvement in identifying the borrowers who would end up paying and who didn't. And that allowed lenders to serve many more borrowers without increasing their losses. So in other words, prior to credit scoring, lenders were a lot more conservative because they didn't know, they didn't have experience with a lot of the population. So what FICO scores did is it brought this type of solution to not just the largest institutions, but to all lenders, because now, you know, the score was available on on the credit report and you didn't have to have all of that experience and data to, to build your own model. So, so we didn't really expect that. I mean, we, we knew what FICO scores would do to the industry, that it would bring that more accessibility and more fairness into the process. But by having it available to the entire industry and using the experience of the in- entire industry, it really exploded. It was much more of an exponential impact than, you know, what had been done before, which was really just left to the largest lenders. So that's really what, you know, we saw. And today we continue to look for ways of making credit more fair and accessible. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know that there's so many iterations now of the FICO score. I believe we're at FICO score 10 right now. Do you have any predictions about where the score would go in the future even in terms of how how it can be designed to better reflect consumer behavior? Absolutely. I mean, we've been working quite a bit on greater expansion of like the credit universe. For example, we have been since 2016, we've been launching new innovations that look at data outside of a traditional credit report. So there are 53 million consumers in the U.S. that don't have a FICO score because they don't have enough of a credit history because it really looks at that information on that traditional credit report. So we've been focused on making an on-ramp to credit for those millions of people by offering versions of FICO scores that look at alternative data, like how you pay your telephone bill or how you manage the cash in your checking account. Account. So these are really important innovations to make credit more fair and accessible. Sally, you're also at FICO. You're a longstanding sponsor of women. At, you're just such a leader in uh, the you know the world of women executives. You're a member of Advancing Women Executives. The mission there is to improve equity and economic growth in the workplace. This is a really tough year for so many women. I was just, you know, reading in the paper about how this is really a female recession in so many ways. The the burden of the of COVID and the recession really, women are carrying that that load, that burden more than men. Many are worried about this year being a real setback for women professionally not just this year, but for years to come. So in your opinion, why do companies, and I do blame companies as part, they're part of the problem, fail to recognize 
the demands of being a working parent. We know that working moms are sometimes the most productive of workers. <laughs> so uh, what do you think should be the responsibility or the duty of companies to support not just women and moms, but families, right? Yeah, well, you're hitting on exactly why I'm so passionate about gender diversity in the workplace. You know, the more leaders we have, and, and actually that's both women and men, right, that understand and empathize about juggling home and work, the more leaders we have that are, you know, very emphatic that family and health should be everyone's, you know, top priorities in life, then the more we can build, you know, work communities that that support each other. And from a business standpoint, I, I have to believe that in the long run, this leads to the best results in an organization. Because it goes back to what culture do you want to establish? Do you want to establish that culture that creates a community and creates loyalty amongst employees and, you know, everyone putting their best in their job because they don't have to worry about things that are going on at home? That's really the culture that we want to create. And I do believe that gender diversity, which is actually diversity of both women and the men that support these causes, Mm -hmm. right, is really critical to see that happen. I agree. We need this to not just be a mother issue, mother's issue or a woman's issue, working mom issue. It's when women are successful, everybody is successful. When women are supported, moms are supported, everybody wins. So this has global impact on everybody. And I think you're right. The more we recognize that market, this movement as such, I think that's when we'll really start to see change, uh, change that matters at least. So We talked already about your credit experiences early on, buying that car and and the experiences there. What about money? What's your earliest money memory? What do you credit for learning about money? Yeah. So this might not be the earliest memory, but it was certainly a very impactful one. When I went away to college, my, my dad opened up a checking account and this is how he would transfer money to me for my bills and my spending money. He would put funds in it. And then, you know, miles away, I would take it out with my ATM card. And after I arrived at, at college and started hanging out with new friends, I ended up spending well beyond my means, right? We were eating out instead of eating in the dorm. So essentially paying twice for dinner, going to concerts and buying the latest designer sunglasses. And it it didn't occur to me that perhaps my friends had more disposable funds than I did. And it didn't take very long before I had to call my dad and ask for more money. And and that's when I learned what a hardship it was for him to replenish those funds. And it, it was a real eye opener for me. And I felt really terrible. But I was really lucky that I was able to learn this lesson without more serious consequences. And, you know, I've uh, it, it's it's helped me, you know, manage my within my means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember those days in college. And I share that feeling of the dread that For me, it was the dread of having to call my parents and usually talking to my dad about needing to replenish the bank account and only like a week or two into the the new month. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? It's interesting how quickly money gets spent in college. (laughs) But you're right. It's hard. It's, It's a really great wake up call because college is sort of the first time for a lot of people where they're in a community really having to make financial choices for themselves in the context of 
social life and social pressures and seeing other friends from different economic backgrounds spend less or more. And it, it is a wake up call in many ways. And I guess good to fail so early on in life as opposed to later. Um, bouncing around a little bit, you know, we talked, we've talked already about, and you shared some of your thoughts on uh, how companies can support women. And I'm just really interested and the audience is really interested issues related to things like gender parity. And you've commented a lot on this. In fact, um, you spoke with Yahoo Finance last year uh, and mentioned that on reaching gender parity, part of the solution is awareness. And I'll quote you, you said, becoming more aware of your privilege and that what you take for granted can be a barrier for others. So I really love this. I think it's true. We, we talk about it on the show a lot about privilege and what can we do with our privilege. Each person's individual experience with privilege is different. What does this mean to you in terms of overcoming financial barriers in our society, both in the country and abroad? Is there an issue in today's context that you think still needs work to reach greater parity? It's an interesting year to be talking about this, right? With uh, the recent passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. So there's absolutely more work to be done. And it's a big focus for us here at, at FICO. You know, the experience that I would just spoke about, right, with my, my bank of dad is a great example of privilege that many people don't have. I was able to learn this lesson without getting a blemish on my credit, mm-hmm. without having to dig myself out of a big financial hole, God forbid, high interest rates and so forth forth, right? So that is privilege. Not everyone has that. So, you know, at FICO, there are a couple of ways that we are, you know, continuing to work towards this mission. One, you know, we, we've already discussed, and that is the alternative ways of granting credit. That's a huge focus for us, right? Using alternative data, you know, how you paid your phone bills, your checking account. We have, you know, scores out there called the FICO score XD and the ultra FICO score that are tools to allow lenders to expand um, and, and provide credit to people, you know, more people than, you know, who had it before and to help with that catch 22 situation that many borrowers fall into, which is that if I don't have credit or I don't have parents that can somehow help me get credit that I can, I can get credit and I can prove myself in other ways. So that's been a really important part of the solution. The second is ensuring transparency about FICO scores, working towards kind of clear and accurate information about how, you know, what for a consumer in terms of what their FICO score is, and then the information that they need to be able to maintain it, improve it if, if they need to improve it. So years ago, we launched the open access program. It allows lenders to share their customers' FICO score with them. So many people today have regular access to their free FICO score, and it's delivered with information that tells them, you know, accurately about, you know, what it looks at and, and so forth. And then we also offer Score a Better Future, which is a program where people, you know, many people who've had, you know, trouble with credit can get a free copy of their report and scores and get advice on how to improve and maintain their credit. So those have been really important in the U.S. And we're also doing things internationally. I mean, we're working right now in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, in developing countries with helping distribute more, more, more microloans. So these are populations that haven't necessarily 
necessarily have had the benefit of credit to help them, you know, build their livelihoods and improve their economic standing. So there are even different types of problems in internationally as well. And, you know, it really comes down to the fact that credit's a, a lifeline for many. And so we're really excited about continuing this important mission of uh, making it more fair and accessible. Especially right now. Yeah. And just so to summarize, access and transparency, so critical in, in the journey to establish and build credit. You know, I was, I referenced the podcast that we did. I have the date now, everybody. It was on September 4th, episode 1091. So many myths that kind of came up on that episode, debunking them um, with our guest. And, you know, I guess it just proves that your work is not done, Sally. (laughs) You're going to be busy for a while, but it's all good. I'm happy that we could team up and, and provide, you know, this information to listeners and even the smartest of listeners, I think we all, we took away something new from that episode. And, and the thing is that as the world evolves, so does, you know, how we, how we look and engage with credit. It's, it's nice to know that people like you are at the forefront of these tools. We really appreciate you. Sally Taylor, thank you so much for joining and best wishes to you and your family and your team at FICO. Thank you very much, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Sally Taylor for joining us. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com, including the transcript, the audio, and where you can learn more about Sally and FICO. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.